0: But now I feel there's a pressure to be funny, you see, now that we're trying to record something to say at the start of the pod. Oh,
1: we can't help it if we're naturally funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the PR Hub podcast.
1: I'm Adam Tuckwell. And I'm John Wilcox. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be speaking to Ronka Lawal, who is from Ariadne PR. Um, She is a mentor for the Cherie Blair Foundation, amongst other uh, mentorships um, internationally and nationally. Um, She didn't go through the the sort of more traditional route. um, So her story is absolutely fascinating. Not only that, uh, in light of current events as well. You know, we spoke to her about um, the diversity or lack of diversity in the industry as a whole and her thoughts on what could be done to counter that. I mean, a really, really fascinating one, um, in in addition to her sense of entrepreneurship uh, and and mentoring.
0: show you've, you've got quite a big social following but for people who don't know you perhaps you could give us a, a quick plotted history of, of of who you are and where you've come from and, and what you do in the world of PR. Off thank you, you a big,
2: a big social <laughs> following thank you and at least you didn't say how many followers I can't stand it when people say how many followers I've got. I'm <laughs> <so boring. laughs> Um, but I've been in PR for, I've been doing PR, doing PR, been in PR for over a decade. When I first started my business in my early twenties, I know I still look like I'm in my early twenties, but in my early twenties, it was a marketing business development, PR kind of all one-stop shop business because I wanted to be taken very seriously because I was so young. Um, and, and, and quite naive, I have to say, um, but as the years progressed and I realized A, what my strengths were, B, what what repeat client business was coming to me for. They were literally coming to me for public relations and media relations and comms, all the other stuff they weren't really coming to me for. And I wasn't really making money from that. I rebranded about four or five years ago to Ariati PR as it stands, which is a uh, consumer PR, lifestyle PR Uh, communications consultancy. Um, Primarily, the majority of my clients are within the African and Caribbean community, uh, in this, I should say communities within this country, Um, but I've had international, so across the African continent, North America as well, but I also have clients who want to get their messaging right when they're speaking to African and Caribbean communities. Um, within this country. So that's kind of, that's become my specialism in in terms of consumer brands and lifestyle. Um, And what, what I think, and I like what you you said in terms of introducing my social following, because I, I, I I enjoy undertaking social listening and I pay attention. So I really kind of plugged into, you know, the mind (laughs) of a consumer. And I think that's where my success has come from if, if i can say like because i'm quite social media savvy but i also pay attention to what people are saying on the timeline i can react or respond in a way that some of my clients aren't always able to do with, without me i hate ooh, that sounds a bit That also sounds a bit corny but that's the truth
0: <laughs> it's not corny people employ you to deliver to deliver work for them you, you know there's no point in employing someone if you could do the job yourself is there <laughs>
2: But, but saying I saying could, like I'm, I'm almost like the the, voice, the, the ears. That, I guess I guess I am I'm, to, to some extent. I mean, ears that some of them don't always. You know, some of them just basically need to clean their ears, right? I, I find <laughs> particularly, particularly in consumer PR and lifestyle, this perception of okay, this is what it should be like. But actually, if you pay attention and undertake, you know, standard social listening, you can have great results. And, that, and like you say, that's why people hire me. That's why people assign me.
0: Yeah, let's not make our career in our sector sound so easy that anyone
1: could do it. Hey, oh no, <laughs> let's not do that. My God, jeez,
2: no, definitely not. It's definitely not easy. Oh my it's god, it's really hard <laughs> and challenging. It, no, it, it is. It really is. I think because we're both we're all we're all smiling and kind of lighthearted right now, but it is really challenging. Actually, you know, on a serious note, it really is. Yeah.
1: I mean, dialing back um, away from uh, before you started Ariatu. You've got degrees, I noticed, in uh, international business and uh, focusing on on economics. Uh, what's that? What was that journey from that to going into PR and comms? You know, how, how how did that sort of come about?
2: So, so that's a really good question. So, when I when I first, so I follow the path the least resistance. I follow the path that you're supposed to follow you're supposed to follow um, in terms of education and, and doing you know getting all the grades and doing the right the right thing um but i love business i've always loved business even before university before A level and so i knew i was going to do something businessy i had a, a particular preference for marketing but for, again it goes back to what i said earlier in terms of wanting to, to be taken seriously and i think that comes from the awareness there's a, there's a perception in, um, particularly. Now I'm going. I don't want to speak to all communities within the uh, African and Caribbean community, but like in Nigeria, because I'm Nigerian in origin, um, Nigerian ethnicity. So in Nigerian households, you've got to work really hard to uh, be great, and you know excellence is key. And it's a term, you know the term that you've got to work twice as hard to get what you want. So I chose a degree that see appeared to be, and it very what very much was bigger, like bigger than me and bold. So even as he's saying, I'm very proud of my degrees, international business economics. I got to travel. I did a year in the states, but I realised actually by boxing myself in, I was restricting myself to what my actual gifts are, which is communication. You know, and I and I'm, I'm a really good communicator. I've always been a really good communicator, but I, 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 I resisted. So I tried to try to follow the serious path not to say communication isn't serious but I try to follow the very you know I've got to economics, econ is econ is the thing I've got to do um, and when I came out of university I, sh- I really struggle um, and as we know you know across a, a, a myriad of sectors it's, it's hard um, especially for working class black first second generation young people to break into certain sectors because I wanted to be I wanted to be an investment banker I wanted I thought I wanted to be an investment banker so I wanted to use my econ degree to be this big, successful, shoulder padded individual, and um, when I I just yeah, I, and I didn't know where else to turn. Even though I knew that I was good at I was good at communications, I was interested in PR. I was actually also interested in advertising. I knew marketing and comms was something I wanted to do, but I kind of steered away from it. But after a couple of years, um. It came from an entrepreneurial desire. I, I don't want to call it a dream, but a desire to start my own business. So I started my business from what I felt what I was good at, basically. Um, and I used elements of my degree. I did my own research into public relations, into PR, into marketing, uh, into marketing and commu- communications, and amalgamated that into an entrepreneurial journey of my own. And that's why I said earlier, when I first started, I was quite naive.
1: <laughs> I mean we've uh, you're the second uh guest on the trot now that we've had who you know you've you've both been when we spoke to Carrie Rose from rise at seven um in 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 the previous episode and you know both of you started your um your own companies with that drive that on- sense of entrepreneurship um and and i I wonder what um sort of triggered that um sort of determination to sort of go it alone rather than go you know, the the sort of we've spoken about the typical education route but you know the the typical PR route is you know you join an agency as a, as a junior you work you, you work your way up through the account management roles press account director and then you go okay now I'm going to start my own agency but you didn't do that and I kind of wonder what what for you triggered that sense of entrepreneurship to sort of step out and go actually I'm going to start my own thing
2: so I I wasn't happy in my so I had a management position uh, I was working for a fitness company, a health, health and fitness, big health and fitness company. But I had a management role within that company, right? And it was a, it was a, it was a very standard business management, person, uh, personnel and finance um, role. So it was a, it was a quote unquote serious job, but it wasn't as serious as the one I want. It wasn't a stockbroker or investment banking job that I wanted. But what I found, even despite having this proper management, you know, a serious management job. I wasn't happy, but not only was I not happy, you know, it wasn't even just about being satisfied. It was like, I don't, I don't think I was, my my talents or skills are being used to their full potential. So that's why I started kind of brainstorming. I had a friend who was starting a business at the time, um, many moons ago and she needed, she needed a marketing plan and she came to me and it just came naturally because of the business degree I had and the part of my own research, um, I, I started working on it, and then I realized, oh my gosh, there, there might be more people like her out there who need my services. Um, so it you know I, I I kind of think you know looking back now, it, it would have served me well to perhaps have worked in an agency um, because there's a lot of lessons I learned along the way by myself. Um, I think I would have I possibly would have. Uh, gone I don't know I don't want to say I would have gone further because I've, I've done very pretty well very well in my career so far but I think I would have learned those tough lessons sooner if I'd gone through that you know path I think my fear of applying for agency roles or anything like that was m- when I first came out of university it was tough to find jobs in the first place and I just thought to myself am I going to go through that again like, am I going to go through that crappy period again not really I would rather create something myself mm. even if I'm crappy
1: I like to coffee on the <laughs> yeah,
0: we heard worse. <laughs> yeah,
1: Oh, we but... have. We have. And quite frankly, John, uh, on a previous episode, we had our first explicit one as well. And we we warned <laughs> people and they loved it. And and John Brown, if you're listening, uh, we love you. Thank you for being our first explicit <laughs> episode. Um,
2: so, I didn't, so basically, going through that, I didn't want to recreate, you know, going to a kind of environment where I was sad or feeling like I wasn't um, utilising all my my talents correctly or whatever i just wanted to create something myself and it didn't even occur to me at the time that this wasn't the path that i should be going along because i kind of grew up in that era of so let me think so i was born in the 80s i grew up in the era of that kind of high-flying entrepreneur entrepreneurship yeah sometime. and you know where you you know go getting drive and you can do anything which again is the naivety which i wish i'd kind of not necessarily pay too much attention to because you know we can all say we can do anything but it takes a lot lot more than the motivational entrepreneurship kind of big you know think thinking that came along my during my journey
0: amazing well I'm I'm in awe because I feel like we're the same age and I've I I, I, that all passed me by
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I had no entrepreneurial spirit at all I still don't
2: I did. Oh my God. I, I, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't necessarily get hooked on those motivational gurus or anything, but I was seeing, you know, these amazing stories of people who now I'm not going to name names, but people who now, now, when you look at them, you're like, ah, yeah, no, they're not, they're not necessarily, they're not great. Are they? They're kind of wealth hoarding um, capitalists and they're not, they're not great, but their, their stories inspired and motivated me at the time thinking, you know, I could be, great and not necessarily rich it wasn't even about being rich it was just being about it was about being successful in my own right and and just yeah just being great in my own right whatever that success looked like
0: I think that's so important that 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 idea of of, of success is clearly something that that drives you which is which is really positive you you talked about finishing university and thinking of two potential careers one choosing a route in in marketing and the other one of investment banking and um both of those are extremely uh, competitive sectors uh, I definitely argue that uh commercial banking it probably <laughs> is probably more competitive um yeah. but 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 you then mentioned diversity so I want to just just touch on that a little bit if you can so um did did you have particular role models that were were driving you on a particular path that that you sort of felt that options were open to you or weren't open to you. Talk us uh talk to us if you will a little bit about how you sort of felt certain sectors were were more open than others.
2: Honestly, because I you know, I grew up um working class, uh on an estate in Hackney, um, loved it. You know, I didn't even realise what that was until I went to university until I went to university actually. when I went to university, I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, I grew up working class." When I, you know, up until then, I was just living. it was
0: just you, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah multicultural. We were all, of, you know, the estate was 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 not great, but it was it was it was a community, right? And we just, and I knew, you know, we we were. I knew we we had there was lack, but I didn't kind of, I didn't really, I wasn't as aware until I went to university of how much. Uh, lack there was uh, so in terms of role models all i knew if i'm being quite frank is just to study hard um get the grades um and do well like aside from some of the the entrepreneurial people i saw on tv um so the people i mentioned in terms of oh wow they can do something great in their lives without even looking at context i just most of the time you saw you saw the a and the b oh they did this and they did that okay great i could do it and then you yeah. kind of scratch the surface and you realize they had like a half a million pound investment from a from an uncle somewhere <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah
2: yeah I didn't, be, like, I didn't realize all of that until I started to do my you know do even more digging um so in terms of role models, I think I'll be honest you know my 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 community in, in and of itself has some great role models of just literally people who are surviving and grinding and just getting on with life even though life can you know slap us in the could could at that time slap us in the face so those individuals, and you know the the aspirational people that I've mentioned. I mean, I'm not naming names because at the moment I'm trying to think of anybody who I like from that generation, and I don't know if I like. <laughs> <them>. <laughs>
0: That's fine. We That's don't fair. want any
2: liable here, you know. Exactly. The PR in me is always. I'm always ready. But um, yeah, some of those aspirational people, um, those entrepreneurs, um, on you know, in, in terms of so the social uh, atmosphere. I guess there were a few, a handful of politicians, um, because my parents, you know, were very conscious of making sure that we were not only aware of our culture as Nigerians in Britain and. Um, even though I was born in this country, just making sure we knew the realities of life in Nigeria, but also knew the realities of life in the UK and were politically conscious. So maybe, you know, maybe what I'm trying to say is maybe my parents were also role models. Oh, my goodness. That's an aha
1: moment.
2: <laughs> 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 they're there. But maybe they're, they're, also, they're also role models. <laughs> yeah.
1: say, say hello in case they're listening.
0: That's lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think that sort of brings us nicely on onto your uh, your your mentoring. Um, you're a mentor as part of the Cherie Blair, um, Foundation. Um, can you explain what sort of form that takes? Does it focus on uh, mentoring? Um, you know, uh, future PR uh, young future PR pros. Uh, does it include entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship and 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 branding? Because yeah, you, you know, we've already touched upon your your sort of social media, um, activity. But there's also things like Um, uh, your your who's for dinner uh, blog and and stuff like that which as somebody who has been spending lockdown uh, you know trying to sort of work on new recipes figure out try new recipes and new places I want to go and eat when lockdown is over and done with uh, I'd sort of dip into into some of your past uh, places and the next time I'm in in London there's a few places I want definitely want to go to but um, in terms of mentoring um, you know what sort of form does, does, does that take
2: so with the Sherry Blair Foundation, um, I became a mentor with the foundation a while ago now, and I haven't been a, an active mentor for the past two years. But for at least two or three years, I was an active mentor. So I'm still on their records as a mentor. But it was in, it's an international program. So what they try to do is match um, a, a woman entrepreneur in the UK usually with an international entrepreneur. So the two mentors mentees I've had. Actually both happened to be in South Africa and both had completely different businesses. One, I, she had a, um, if I can remember rightly, a laughing coaching, a coaching service. So laughing therapy, which was a very unusual uh, business but it was interesting, I learned, I learned a lot. Um, I think we, we, we were, it, our relationship was only a year. So the, the mentoring relationship only lasts about a year. Um, so we just did a lot of our mentoring via Skype or email. My second mentee uh, was in fashion. Um, and was hoping to open a store, um, but I lost touch with her unfortunately. I think she was going through some challenges. Um, but that again, that was interesting because she needed help and guidance in terms of how did she brand herself, how did how did she position herself on social media, especially in the climate, uh, the climate in terms of when she was launching her business. Fast fashion, um, a lot of fast fashion businesses and brands were starting to become popular popular across the globe. Not you know not only in Europe and North America, but even you know in Africa well across Africa so how did she make sure that she utilized her social media presence so mentoring in that capacity was quite interesting it had its challenges I think because of you know as much as we rely on tech tech isn't always you know tech isn't always uh, as reliable as we'd like it to be and I think whilst I'm happy to have a virtual mentoring relationships, I think sometimes the kind of the cultural differences in communication and language um could could have could have an effect not a negative effect but just making sure we pace ourselves sometimes we just have to pace ourselves in terms of you know understanding each other and uh, building that relationship but it was it was good but i've been on other programs that i think have had more than a of an effect within pr so the bme pr pros program is an excellent one um, and i was one of the first mentors on that on, on that program in the in the in the cohort of how many years have we been going? It's been three years. So I was one of the first mentors in that program, and that was a that was a really good experience. I'm still in touch with my mentee from that experience. We text each other and check in, and
0: yeah, <laughs> it's good. I think it's really interesting that you 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 come onto the the fact of your your career and you've been doing lots of things. You've been quite highly involved in the CIPR um, uh, uh, as well, and you've been working with the broader industry and, and, and the sector. Um, we've touched on it a little bit before, but, but, but do you think, how much of a problem do you think the PR industry has in terms of diversity? So there's been a flurry of reports over the last month. Uh, it feels like the PR sector is shining a light on itself. And there's a wake up call that diversity is a problem. I've been working in PR for, for 10 years uh, I've been a member of the CIPR for 10 years, and I'm pretty sure diversity has been a problem for every one of those 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. How how big a problem is it, do you think? And are we just playing lip service? So is, there, is, is the PR sector racist? Is it not diverse because of uh, a, a lack of people interested in it? Are we not doing well enough to to promote it as a sector um what what are your impressions and what should people be doing more to to change Mm. diversity
2: Mm. wow if i could answer that question in one go i think i'd be a millionaire well
0: you don't have to because that was about 20 questions
2: yeah i know (laughs) like a really (laughs) big question there's a lot of questions in there in terms of um, you know, pretty much the majority of institutions and, uh, and sexes in this country have a problem of systemic, systemic uh, racism and institutional yeah. racism and structural racism. So PR is definitely not exempt from that. PR definitely has an issue um, and, and a big one. I think there's a few things to take into consideration. I think in terms of diversity, again, because it, 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 it much like other sectors and industries, or our cousins in advertising and marketing? Um, there's there's you know there's a glass ceiling that almost feels to some like a brick ceiling because especially if you're working in agency uh, and in-house, I think sometimes my colleagues in, in in-house sometimes may have it slightly easier uh, when they when I say when I say I'm careful when I say slightly easier but when they're working in corporates, there's a little bit more. Robust way, there's a robust way of thinking in, corp- in corporates, in this, it depends on the sector, but to some degree. Mm-hmm. Agency, because of the way agencies are structured traditionally in this country, there's a kind of old boys network, old white boys network, uh, traditionally, um, it, can, it can really stifle new diverse dynamic talent, and it's not even just about diversity, it's, it's really about inclusion. Uh, inclusivity like in ensuring that whoever enters the industry feels like they can flourish so we can we can get you know we can make sure that we get uh uh, x number of uh, black and asian and minority ethnic pr professionals and commerce professionals in the sector but if those individuals aren't made to feel like or aren't in environments, environment it's not even about being you know made to feel like anything it's about being in an environment where you're able and capable of flourishing then obviously you're wasting so much talent. Um, So I definitely feel like there is an issue there. I mean, my my case is, is different because of the way my career trajectory was. You know, I created my business as an entrepreneur and then I rebranded to focus more directly on PR without any agency experience, but with my own experiences with clients and my own kind of work. But I created my business as any of my, uh, you know, any other, you know, white woman in PR would do. You know, I've met other white women in PRs, I've been on panel panels before, who do pretty much the same thing as me, you know, in terms of yeah. um, lifestyle consistent PR. But what I've noticed is this perception that I didn't create this for myself. So there's, this, there's, 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 there's sometimes been a, 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 and it could just be, you know, me, Uh, Paying more attention, but it's sometimes a surprise that I've I've been able to stay in business by myself I've not gone through that agency route. I'll be really honest guys like I've not been Interconnected with the PR network as such and I still managed to thrive. I've not relied on um, So because I know there's some really influential people in the sector, but I've managed to kind of continue and maintain my business Um, Maybe I would have flourished even more if I had been a little bit more intentional with networking in the industry, but because I sometimes felt uncomfortable and I was sometimes made to feel like I was different or what I sometimes felt was people were asking me more questions about why I was there, why I was in a room than some of my other counterparts where it's like, I'm just, I'm literally just doing just. Doing my work, like I'm, I'm doing my business. Can I just get on with my business? It felt like sometimes people were trying to pick a pick away and seek to, to question my credibility and my valid my valid, my validity as a black woman in PR in this country, especially as an independent PR consultant, as so somebody who standalone, um, who's never had to kind of be pulled by the strings of the upper echelons of the PR community. Um, so I kind of, I'm, I guess I'm I'm an outlier in that sense, but I see it, I see it from my own experience, but I also see it from my um, friends and colleagues within the industry, that there's just a serious issue. There's also, you know, this perception of, because of the lack of diversity, right, and because there are programs that are supposed to help bridge that gap, there's an infantilization of Black PR pros, and PR and communications pros, because people automatically assume that we must have had some help somehow, we couldn't have made it by ourselves, when that's not always, that's not the case, um, and that's part of that, I, I, I call it conscious, but I know people will say it's unconscious bias, but sometimes I think it's conscious, because you wouldn't, if it wasn't conscious, you wouldn't ask anybody else the questions that black pr pros tend to
1: off yeah th- that that almost sounds like um uh people are being discriminating against the perception of positive discrimination almost which is that's that's just that sounds that's weird right why why would and, and, and surely that's just an indicator of of as you said the sort of um the the racism that's found in the industry
2: yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, there's, there's lots of stories, and obviously I can't recount all of the stories that I've heard, but there's lots of stories that are really quite disturbing within the industry. And I think now, because we're in lockdown, and because, you know, we've seen, um, we've seen what's going on in the state, there's, there's situations happening here, belly um, there's there's cases across the world where you're seeing the impacts of anti-blackness, so now you, you, can't, you can't run away from what that is and what racism is and the impact of racism. So now we're seeing across a, a myriad of industries, people are facing up to what, even though we, you know, it's not the first time we've had this conversation or discussion, but I think it's because of lockdown, our tensions are now you know focused on this. And I genuinely hope that a lot of the conversations, statements, the messaging really hits home and because, you know, the industry we're in is so important to, you know, reputation and um, relationship building. There's so much we do in terms of trust building. So it's so important that we ensure that the industry itself reflects the diversity of the world in which we live in. But until it does, we're going to get, you know, a lot of these organizations that have agencies that are very good representing them. Undertaking ridiculous PR missteps because they're just not on either side. They're not diverse and they're not inclusive. So I hope this leads to a change. uh,
1: Yeah. Well, I hope I hope it's not a false dawn. I mean, as well as I said. We wanted to speak to you for your mentoring and your entrepreneurial spirit and stuff like that. But as, as we're talking, we're very, very, very quickly for going back to that. The PRCA obviously announced their plans to increase the numbers uh, of of black uh, professionals in the industry uh, and things like that. The organisation revealed the results of 2019 census, saying that 89% of people who took part identified as white, which is only a reduction of, of 3% from a similar census in 2011. Um, and it's only no... That organisations like the PRCA are, are trying to do something about that. Um, you, you spoke about an old boys network uh, earlier on. I mean, the PRCA and CIPR are, are are very guilty of being key members of that old boys club, aren't they? It's 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 time for them to really sort of move on and 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 well, you know, crack down on 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 crack down on breaking up. But you know, sort of breaking down that network and and, and, and facilitating greater access, isn't it?
2: One one thing I will say is, you know, there's only so. And I'll, try, you know, there's a caveat because I was on the board of the CIPR. But I, I I'm, I'm, i going to be really honest. I do agree that to some extent, me, you know, there's members of the, each of those organisations do uphold that network. I don't necessarily, and perhaps the CIPR does. Perhaps the PRCI they, they does as well. I do think they're they're trying. They've been trying to make changes, but the members themselves also have to speak up and implement those changes there's only so much that those organizations can do so i do believe that there, there's been initiatives put in place perhaps there's not been enough energy behind those initiatives so yes i think those organizations need to do more sure, i think they need to be more dynamic in how they implement those programs for sure i also think they need they needed to have been you know braver in the communications of those programs i think sometimes there's this kind of sense of treading carefully so as not to offend you know the right the right terminology to use the right words to use and sometimes if you're listening if you're listening actually not sometimes all the time if you're listening to the people who are telling you something is wrong you should be able to address these issues head on so yes those organizations have been you know guilty of being slow and to some extent upholding this network and the old boys boys network or the old boys club or whatever you want to call it. But members too have to hold these associations accountable and members also have to act. Members are a reflection of these organizations. And if the members are are kind of, you know, renewing a membership without saying, actually, this is what we need from this organization. The the, the cycle repeats itself, basically.
0: I think it's a part of the challenge is it's, it's so easy to wait for someone else to take a lead it's it, it's so easy to say right so i'll i'll do something as soon as the prca and the cipr do something i'll i'll do something but this is going to sound horrific I'll, I'll do something but at the moment the only people that apply for my jobs are, are, are white and they're female or, or or whatever the issue is there is n- everybody has to act now there is no reason why you couldn't take the names of applicants applying for your jobs today. There's no reason why you couldn't um, change the way you recruit. If you're only getting a certain demographic of people applying for your jobs, maybe the problem isn't that uh, the, the jobs aren't appealing to people of all um, nationalities and, and races. Maybe the problem is you're advertising in the wrong place. You know, I think there's this issue that actually um, everybody has a responsibility to act and do something we talked earlier about the interview that we did with um, john brown a, a couple of episodes ago he, he, for, for their agency don't cry wolf they've published their own employee survey and they've shone a light on themselves and what they do and one of the things they want to do and they have told the world is that they've got a diversity problem and therefore mm-hmm. they want to do something about it and i think one of the key things that any um senior leaders in, in, in comms um who listen to this um must think is that it's your job to act it's your job to do something you can make a tangible change tomorrow Mm -hmm. when you get in the office Mm -hmm. to to make an impact and don't use other people's inaction as an excuse for yours Mm
2: -hmm. absolutely agree and i think you know, there's always going to be an excuse. Um, there's always going to be another excuse. There's always going to be uh, something. I think if you if you identify what the issue is, or if it is a pipeline, for example, if it is the case that, you know, you're in a part of England where the uh, demographic, you know, makeup of that, that, that town or city just genuinely doesn't have the population, you know, does not, you know, meet the diversity of the entire population look at okay how can you partner with local universities because most of universities in this country are pretty diverse or at least reflect the diversity to some degree to some degree of this country not all but some of most of them or at least look at how colleges and you know colleges universities the educational pipeline look at how and i think actually saying that prca did start a program in terms of speaking to um school children in terms of how they view PR and encouraging them to get into PR so perhaps it's a case of okay what can you do from the other side so if it is the case that you can't find people immediately let's start from the education routes. let's start educating young people from a range of racial backgrounds and ethnicities uh, in terms of what PR is and communications is and how they can get into that career what are the other things you can do beyond actually beyond mentoring sponsorship right so if there's a really good opportunity in your organization, now it's, we're in an age and an era that's not difficult to pinpoint talent. And I've mentioned a couple of resources, but PR Pros is one. There's another resource called um, uh, Black, Black Comms in the UK or UK Black, People, Black PR, PR and Comms um, Network. There's Black Women in PR. There's a few resources where you can identify talent and headhunt for yourself if it is the case that you need to headhunt people and directly approach people where possible. Obviously, don't poach talent from agencies uh, <laughs> that might not want you to approach them, but start to really pay attention. And one thing I have noticed is this inability to, or it's not even an inability, it's a lack of desire and will to network outside of one's comfort zone. So, you guys have done a great job actually. You, you approached me, you, we're, we're connected on social media. I'll be honest there's very few others there's only a handful of other white PR professionals who have not necessarily met in perhaps a CIPR capacity or a a kind of panel setting so outside of that there's very few who just connect with me just you know just let's just connect like we're on the same level and I think you know it will really help if we start to widen out our network and just connect with each other and just you know, break out of that comfort zone. I don't know if it's a comfort zone thing, but it's something that I find is quite odd, especially when I attend industry events, awards events. It's this very strange kind of, yeah, energy <laughs> of, of keeping in a bubble of, yeah, I don't know. Let me be careful a,
0: No, 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 I agree. It's, it's a clique and it's a club <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's a network. And I think I, I'm, I'm trying not to apologize for people that did, but there are a number of people we interview on this podcast who just confess that they're actually massive introverts, right? They're actually introverts and they struggle to So I used to work with them and I've, I've met them before. So they're safe people to talk to what, you know, actually if we're in a room full of introverts, let's just all go and talk to other people, right? We can go and, and meet people and it's, you know you, you never get you you never get to to, to learn and, and develop unless you go out and, and force yourself to, to to meet and engage with new people it's so important
2: absolutely
1: absolutely agree um i want to take you back to something you said a phrase earlier on um which was uh social listening uh-huh. um, i mean in an in an era of social media where everybody's got an opinion and by <laughs> God, I'm going to tell everybody what my opinion is, God damn it! Um, I think we could all do with a bit more social listening. How does that um, uh, manifest itself practically for you in a day-to-day basis?
2: Mm, I think for me, because especially when I get clients who come to me for crisis advice, crisis communications advice or guidance, it helps me to clear out the what's real and what's not. So it's just I'm, I'm so... I feel like I'm really good at understanding the the, the crux of a piece because of the social listening that I undertake. Um, half of the stuff we see on social media is just noise, right? Some um, of the, the, the habits that I've developed, you know, the fact checking habits, the um, the research into okay, why is this thing actually trending, or why is this advert, even just an advert, why is this advert become popular? Who who is it popular with? paying attention to that has really helped me to advise clients in crisis, but also to advise clients across their reputation management, across their general kind of the trust building exercises in terms of communications, and even internal comms in terms of how they engage, engage internally, but also obviously engage externally. Um, So it helps, it's, it's one of those things that because I also enjoy social media, even though it can be annoying, that's what helps. And I have my own set rule. You know, I don't engage in with trolls. I always fact check. I use social media responsibly. Um, and I try and have fun. And then it kind of goes back to my consumer PR is I try and view my social media use as a consumer would. And I think that really helped. It's been really powerful through the course of my business career because I. I see things through a consumer's eyes, even when they're not always right. I can kind of see their perspective and kind of unpack from there. So it can be quite fun, actually. I'm,
1: I mean, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, especially if you're dealing with media relations, a lot of the time you kind of put yourself into the shoes of of journalists to sort of uh, communicate to them in an effective way, right? You want to make sure that what you know you're you're addressing. Uh, what well you, you're trying to write in a way that'll sort of pique their interest. Um, so it's 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 almost like that adjacent, I, I suppose.
0: I wanted to talk to you about uh, how this current time has impacted your business. So we we always like to not talk about coronavirus and we always like to not mention the phrase new normal. But I'm <laughs> going to ask you, how has how has your business adapted? As, a, as an independent business, how have you how have you coped? What what trends have you seen, and and what do you think lies ahead for PRs as we come out of this?
2: Right. So I've been very blessed. I'm, I've got, I've had a really good flow of work and continued. I've got a really good, uh, what should I call it? Uh, a, a nice. Packet. Um, pack, pack of clients, but anyway, got a good group
1: of clients.
0: Retaining <laughs> <team of> clients. <laughs> a pack of clients. Um, what, think. what is the collective noun for clients?
1: <laughs> what is Does the collective noun for clients? I don't. I mean, I don't. yeah, no. That that could that could be a poll that, that. could be the poll on this week on the on 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 Twitter. Uh, what I do quite, you call your group of, of clients?
0: I quite like the idea of a basket of clients, <laughs> but but a basket of clients. Uh, yeah. yeah just... <laughs>
2: I've been really lucky, so um, in terms of retainer clients, I've, I've been blessed, I've continued and I've not had any pauses um, and I've, I've had some really good kind of one-off projects as well that have been coming in, even just before this call I've had a nice um, booking for a one-off piece project, one-off piece, one-off piece of work. So I've been really lucky, but what has also helped is because I've always pretty much worked from home or remotely or wherever, I can work pretty much anywhere. Nothing has changed in terms of how I work. So I've not had to adapt much because I'm just used to using tech and used to having all the resources just here. I don't have to, I didn't panic so much. I mean, the panic set in a little bit in terms of, okay, are people, you know, are my clients going to um, pause contracts? Are things going to stop? But actually it's been really good so far. Touch wood, it's going to continue. So I've been blessed in that sense. What's also helped is, you know, showing and reminding clients how possible it is and how good it is to work remotely. Um, and I've also seen that with their teams as well, how they work with their teams, just remote working and having that flexibility and just being more chilled, um, being more understanding. I've always, I mean, part of the, the thing that I may have lost, I, I started to lose a little bit, but hopefully I'm gaining again, is that holistic approach to business. So. know the why behind business it's not just to make money it's actually to create a lifestyle that i enjoy um and a lifestyle that uh brings me happiness and actually serves others in a meaningful way it's it's not just about you know getting as many clients as possible and making lots of money but then not sleeping and not being healthy and not having a life so i think this period has not only shown me that it's possible to maintain a good business a healthy business lifestyle but also reflecting on, on my, reflected that on my clients. I had a client, I remember a client wanted to, she messaged me and it was getting late. And I just said, well, I'm logging off at seven o'clock. I think it was seven o'clock or six o'clock, but I'm logging off completely. And then she said, well, thank you for that. Cause it also reminded me to log off as well, because she had become so used to staying on her laptop, working from home. So again, kind of showing clients it's okay to have a life, and to be human beings and to take care of ourselves, especially in the midst of a pandemic, yeah, that's that's been something that's quite.
0: Well, we're really pleased to hear that your business is doing well. What's the what's the plan for the future? What does the future look like for you?
2: I think how, how can we even answer a question about the future when th- this year has shown us that <laughs> we cannot plan for very much. <laughs> I, I don't know, Adam. I don't know. Like, what can we plan for the future? Um. Hopefully, we won't have any, won't have a second wave or a third wave. So hopefully, plan to the future to survive a pandemic. Um, and then, you know, more, you know, more quality clients. I, I do enjoy having these, you know, conversations and discussions. But turning these conversations and discussions into into tangible, active change. So, you know, I'm intentional about my use of social media. Um, it's not, it's not just for my business, and it's not just for fun. It's actually to show specifically young black PR professionals, there's somebody who looks like them in the field. So, you know, in the future, I I would like to continue to be that person, but also bring other people into this space and show people that we can be visible, we're here, we can engage healthfully within this environment and thrive. Um, So, you know, I'm gonna continue to grow the business, continue to have a healthy lifestyle within the business and continue to be visible even in an industry that sometimes makes me feel as if I'm invisible
1: <laughs> ronke Lowell, thank you so so much for joining us on the podcast today it's been absolutely fascinating to hear your story and uh, uh yeah wish you all the best of luck as we as we all uh, try to thrive and survive this this ongoing <laughs> pandemic situation such fun <laughs> Okay, here we go. We got the results of our poll. Of our of our reality TV poll.
0: I'm on tender hooks, John.
1: Okay, okay, so um thank you very much for everybody who voted. Um very much appreciated. So over a period of six days and um, we asked our Twitter followers, um yeah which reality show uh, they would choose to take part in and why. Uh, This is based on on Carrie Rose, uh, who um, became, uh, well, very very nearly became uh, an Apprentice contestant. So we put four choices, and obviously there's the opportunity to retweet and reply and give an an alternative, if you so wish, if it's the Great Sewing Bee or whatever it's called, uh, (laughs) instead. But the four options were Big Brother... I'm a Celebrity, uh, The Great British Bake Off and of course, one of my personal favourites, RuPaul's Drag Race so and I know Adam was one of the people who voted uh, that he take part in Drag Race um, because I'm sh- you've got the legs, Ads, you've got the legs for it I do, they are my best uh, feature there you go, exactly um, and there was there was a clear winner in this it was bake off which i'm i'm so happy for 53% of people voted, said that they would like to take part in bake off out of the th- out of the four of them um, Drag Race came in last 13% which is amazing i think more people need to watch it
0: and a big congratulations to Carrie Rose because their agency has just celebrated their their first anniversary just a week after we released the pub, which is which which is wonderful news. I think it's really exciting. She she was incredibly open and uh, passionate about her business and her sector. But one thing that really impressed us was how open she is to to share what she has learned with with other people. So it was quite a quite an inspiring example, and I, I'm I'm pleased that she didn't end up as an apprentice star, and I'm sure she's much happier that she didn't.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think... Uh, oh, by the way, how was your rise at seven bottle of gin? Oh, I think mine's in the post. I think mine's in the post as well. Although, to be fair, if it's not too late, I prefer bourbon or perhaps some vodka, just in case you're listening, Carrie. Um, <laughs> we're not we're not envious of those who received a bottle of gin, honestly. Um but uh, many congratulations on the first anniversary of uh, Rise at Seven, and I'm sure you guys are going to go from strength to strength as well. If you'd like to keep up to date with Ronke Lowell on Twitter, she's at Ronke Illaweil. You can follow us at PR PRHub on Twitter. You can follow Adam at Adam Tuckwell, and you can follow me at John Wilcox. No H, and there's an underscore at the end of it as well, just to complicate matters. Anyway, we'll speak to you very soon. Take care. <laughs>